This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by Evan Grant, who's back from, where'd you go to? Uh, Antigua, is that where you were? Antigua. Antigua. Wow. It's what an island. How, how do you, what is that? What, is, what, what does that mean, Antigua? Do you know? You know, it's not called Antigua by Antiguans. <laughs> what is it called by them? The what, island? I think it's Wadadli. Wadadli. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's, I like what that. Wadadli, yeah. So we refuse it to call it by what the people who live there call it. Correct. That's nice. Um, Sounds like colonialism to me. Uh, well, there, there's a little bit of that, but it was, uh, it was a very nice time. There were many... Uh, while you guys were here freezing and dealing with uh, the Working, podcast, you mean? Um, we we had many pina coladas. Pina coladas? Yeah. What What is your frozen drink of choice? Oh, you don't drink. Yeah, I don't really drink, no. David, do you ever invite... Well, hold on a minute. we got to say who this is that we're talking to. We got, oh, we've got David Moore with us, as we always do. On the line from Atlanta. He's at the Super Bowl. From Coldlanta. Coldlanta, that's right. David, how's it going there? First, first, first a question. If they don't call, if it's not Antigua, they would not be Antiguans. Wouldn't they be Wadablians? Wadablians. I, you know, I was as that utterance came out of my mouth. I knew one of you two was going to bring that point up. <laughs> I, I didn't go that. F- I was not that deep into researching Antigua. You're not just, that invested no. in the culture. Of I was where you were more invested. Vacation. And yeah, here's the culture he was invested in, the bar culture. The menu of frozen <laughs> drinks. Yeah, that's what it was. I'll tell you what, this was our, we went to an all-inclusive because I just didn't want to worry about costs or anything. And let me tell you, that's a different, that's a whole different world right there. <laughs> I mean, there's people walking down the beach because they, they stock your room with like this cheap alcohol, right? Right. And so there's these people walking down the beach with their bottle of like five dollar scotch with the nozzle, and they're just drinking from it. <laughs> That's nice, isn't it? <laughs> the ugly Americans. There we and, go. And, and we went, the first night there, we went to dinner, and it's like all these people were hanging over their back. Hey, where are y'all going? And I was like, people were asking you where you were going to dinner. Where are y'all going to dinner? Yeah, it was a little bit too friendly, and gave me <laughs> a little bit of a creepy feeling about maybe some. Lifestyles that I didn't quite oh, want to get into. No. Yeah. Oh. So we just said, "Well, we're going to go eat." <laughs> lifestyles might, might that be? I'm not getting into that, but wow. uh, it was um, it was interesting. The beach was great, and and just sitting there and reading for three days was necessary. But David, what is your Im- frozen drink that you imbibe upon if you ever indulge in one? 
Or are you such I a wine snob that you won't ever do it? I'm a wine snob, but I also enjoy other beverages of choice. I'm not that much into the frozen realm, but uh, the the good frozen margarita is hard to beat. The good frozen margarita. Um, Although you, I usually have it on the rock. The signature drink at the resort that we went to, and I'm not going to plug anything here, but the signature drink was something called the reggae top. Reggae top. And it was a, a frozen... It con- had rum in it. It was a frozen concoction that had rum in it, but it had, I think it also had Midori in it, and it had something yellow, maybe some Galliano, I don't know. But it was frozen layers of red, green, and yellow to basically look like uh. the reggae colors. And... I thought it was going to be like a Rastafarian kind of thing, like with well, it kind of is, but, um, you know. but it, no, it didn't come out with any dreads or anything like yeah. that. But uh, I was not going near that. I, I stuck with my two, my pina coladas. I went to the bar and I said, "Give me two pina coladas." You know, just like you, Kenny Chesney. Did you see where uh, where Ed Werder posed with uh, your idol, uh, Jimmy Buffett, in New Orleans? In New Orleans, he's I a, heard Jimmy did not. Tiny little man. I, I heard Jimmy did not do a good national anthem. Well, I'm not really shocked by that. Um, he's I, he's about he looked like he was about five two. He's not he's not a tall human. No, um, he's Ed just he's, towered over him. But he's worth about seven hundred million. Yeah, that's what so, matters to you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so speaking of which, I want to say one thing before we get going here because this really disturbed me this morning. I woke up this morning in a cold sweat. I had a dream that I was on a not a really good ski slope. There seemed to be a lot of exposed grass on this slope. That sounds like the ski slope I went on when I actually, the one time I did go skiing. Yeah. Go ahead. So I'm, I'm skiing along, and all of a sudden, I run into Jerry and Stephen Jones on the ski slopes, and Jerry is making fun of my skis and telling me that I can't, I can't ski on those, and I just whoosh right past him. But then we are, we are, we are, the three of us are all skiing together. Hang on. What you, do you suppose that means? You, Jerry, and who? Stephen Jones. Yeah. The Jones boys and Let's me. Let's analyze this. I, 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 okay, <laughs> I, I think I've got this. I, I, I think that I have the, uh, the meaning of this here. That you believe that Stephen and Jerry are going downhill fast. Oh, there we go. I but like you're that. going downhill even, <laughs> even faster. faster. Well, that, I think that's it. Doctor, I think you have <laughs> you have interpreted my dream uh, expertly. <laughs> I think that's it. And, I like it. And the bald patches were just a reference to your current hairline. <laughs> yeah, that could have been. I like it. Okay, well, that's cured. Okay. All right. Well, uh, so now, uh, the Super Bowl, who you got? Uh, I, <laughs> Uh, let me see. Who's playing the the Patriots and the Rams? Patriots and the Rams. You know, here's the thing about a, a game like this. You always want to lean, you know, barring any uh, huge uh, difference in talent, which I don't think there's a huge difference in talent here, except maybe maybe at quarterback, um, is that which coach is going to do a better job preparing, right? Which coach is going to really have something going? Because, you know, you have an extra week, and, and let's see what they can do. Well, you got the, the master, you know, Bill Belichick, maybe the greatest football coach ever. And then you got the young genius, Sean McVay, who we saw what he did to the Cowboys when given an extra week, uh, pulled out some stuff that 
that uh, they hadn't really done all year long and uh, and really bamboozled the Cowboys, which I'm not saying that's any great shakes to do that, but it's, it's really bright. So it'll be interesting to me to see uh, who gets out coached here, if anybody does. David, do you have any theories about that? Well, we should probably point out that the Patriots' current dynastic rise began with an unexpected victory over the St. Louis Rams back in New Orleans. And what if this is the win that ends the dynasty? Oh, my God. the Rams God. come back. The symmetry Wait, how's, is how's, overwhelming. How's that for a narrative? Yeah, how about that? Know. Well, you know, they have not won every then, Super Bowl. Then we anoint a new genius. Then we anoint a new genius in football. Well, I think we've already anointed the new genius. I think we've already because uh, <laughs> you look around, they're hiring well, people he's who anointed. he's been anointed, but he needs to win a Super Bowl. Well, he's he retainer. He, he does. He do, well to really get it going. Yeah, that would really. Get, but you know. Look, look around the league and look what's going on. Everybody's already signed on and said that Sean McVay is where we want to go. That's how, that's why Cliff Kingsbury is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals is because of Sean McVay. Sure. What a trajectory that is. I still can't yeah, I mean, but so so this is so yeah, I, I agree. He, if he's going to really be, you know, look, he's got a long way to go to be in the class of Bill Belichick. Uh, but you know, I can't get over the fact I was thinking about this the other day. I don't even remember what year this was, uh, but I went to Cleveland to do a story on um, uh, our, our old pal. Uh, gosh, what is what was Kozar's Bernie Kozar, Bernie Kozar, who was you know briefly a Cowboys quarterback, and uh, so I went. Uh, this is back when we would really uh, spring for a trip like this, and I went there to to, to talk about Bernie, um, and I, I talked to people with the Browns. Talked to Jim Brown, as a matter of fact. That was an interesting conversation. Um, but also, that was the last days of Bill Belichick in Cleveland. Um, and and at the same time, Rick Goslin was there. And Rick went on and on about what a great coach that Bill Belichick is. And I said, yeah, you can't tell it by what the Browns are doing. So it's an amazing thing to, uh, to think back on that and what a, a genius that uh, Belichick is regarded as now. But that wasn't the case when he was the coach of the Cleveland Browns. No, and, and look at—I mean, they're—you know—they've been around so long. There are some remarkable stats to talk about there that point to their dominance and and uh, just how thorough they have been. But I came across one yesterday that that just blew me away. Uh, I believe that the Patriots under Belichick are sixteen and one in the postseason when facing a team for the first time. Really, sixteen and one—that's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, that tells you, and again, one of the Super Bowl losses was to the Giants, when obviously the you know, but it's uh, yeah, just, just remarkable that that, and that's something you take for granted. You talk about his uh, dominance as a coach and being the preeminent coach. To me, that is something that exemplifies it right there, and so that that, that is certainly something uh, they. They have history, and, uh, you know, it's interesting because I think last year um, they were certainly the favorite. Um, You know, this year they're a slim favorite, but last year they were certainly the favorite and and, uh, weren't able to to get that done. So, and and they've kind of turned that around this year to to this whole, uh, no, you know, everyone counted us out. Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, narrative. Isn't that great? The Patriots, the underdogs. Right. 
Sure, yeah, yeah. They're getting mocked for that, and, and and rightfully so. But you can see where they're coming from because I, I think outside of New England, by and large, people always expect dynasties to end before they actually do, and they get kind of tired of the team that's a dynasty, and they're looking for reasons why. Well, this is the last run. This is the last time they're going to go through. And I think a lot of people felt that. After last year, uh, with the way Philadelphia won, uh, that you know what, uh, you know these these Patriots have just kept it together longer than they had any right to. Uh, wow, let's look at this friction between Brady and Belichick. Oh, Brady's not showing up for off-season program. Uh, this this is the rip. This is where this thing breaks apart, and it didn't. So I think they take great great pride in rising above their individual personality disputes and egos to, to get back to this point. Now, all of that being said, is, is that mean, does that mean they're going to win on Sunday? Um, I'm not so sure. I, I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see what the Rams throw at them and, and how this game goes back and forth. And, and while the Patriots have certainly been dominant since 2000, 2001 in the NFL, most of their Super Bowls have been very close and, and could go either way. And, and, uh, really see it comes down to those final possessions or two in the fourth quarter well eli manning for all the uh the grief he's taken over the course of his career has two super bowl wins over tom brady and the patriots so yeah yeah so there's anything can happen in these games i will say this the rams march through the playoffs uh has been curious to me from the standpoint that um uh, as much as they dominated the Cowboys, the line of scrimmage, you know, uh, that game was still just an eight-point game. Uh, I think if you know, we saw in that game that Jared Goff made some nice throws and also made some terrible throws uh, and, and looked really average in that game. And then we saw what happened uh, in the Superdome against the Saints, a team that uh, uh, the Saints were up early and up by a couple of touchdowns, and they should have put that game away. They didn't do that. And then, of course, the – Terrible missed call uh, late in the game that should have uh, given it to the Saints. I would say this. I think if the Saints had won that game, which they should have won it, I, I would clearly pick the Saints to, to beat the Patriots. But in this game, I'm giving a slight edge to, to the Patriots just because of the quarterback. Is, to me, that just makes all the difference. I don't think that Jared Goff rises. To, he, he may rise to the occasion, but I don't think that uh, in a game like this where he's playing his first Super Bowl, I'm going to bet against Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to uh, bet against him and, and what he's done. And, and I do think that the Patriots should be favored and, and have a slight edge. But, again, that doesn't ensure they're going to win. Um, and, you know, that that's the other thing. Good young teams that, that really make a name for themselves usually win a year or two earlier than you think they would. Uh, you know, that happened with the Cowboys when they started their championship run back in the 90s. Uh, that hope happened with Seattle. Um, you usually find these teams win earlier. When you look back historically on what they've done, you usually see them break through maybe a year or two before they were projected to. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean their, their reign is going to be long or is going to be anything that rivals the um, Patriots. But, you know, there's no assurance... When you look at the NFC over these last 10 to 12 years, uh, look at all the different teams that have gone against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, look at all the different teams that play in the NFC championship game from year in and year out. 
Um, I, I think the competition is much more even at the top in the NFC than it is the AFC. And so, you know, you, you talk about, oh, the Rams are a good young team. Uh, you know, really only two teams in the playoffs were younger than the Rams, and that was Dallas and Indianapolis. So certainly they're going to get back here. Uh, why would they certainly get back here? <laughs> you know, they may not. This may be their best shot. So uh, that's certainly the way they're going to go into the game. And uh, it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a really good game. I hope so. You know, I, the thing that will be interesting to me to see is that what uh, <clears throat> old Wade Phillips does, Mr. Fix-It, with the, with the Rams' defense, you know, they were underachievers all year long, terrible against the run, uh, which is one of the reasons why I picked the Cowboys to win that game uh, was because the Rams were terrible against the run, giving up 5.1 yards per carry. You were wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. And then you get into that game, and they were just dominant. And, of course, they played like they should have played, I think. You know, you got all those first-round draft picks in there. you got Aaron Donald, the best defensive lineman in the game. You've got Indomitian Sue, who – I guess I guess it's just a matter of when he really wants to play. Uh, he's still as dominant as he as he ever was. So if those guys rise to the occasion, and I, I really think to me that's going to be the difference for the the Rams. If it's not so much their offense, I think their offense will be fine. They'll, they'll uh, they're, they they can do enough things that they uh, they can score some points against the Patriots. To me, the difference will be. Are those guys in that defensive line of the Rams, are they going to rise to the occasion and play like their pedigree says they are? I think that's – I think that's – are there four first-round draft picks in that defensive line? You know, it's Brockers. You get Brockers. <laughs> it's an outstanding. Yeah. They have a – you know, they're not as strong at linebacker as a lot of Wade Phillips teams have been in the past, but uh, they're, they're really good in the front, and uh, they have good corners. And uh, – um, so, yeah, and you've seen in this playoffs, I mean, and part of that is just what happens in the playoffs. You, you don't have as many, uh, with the with the Kansas City-New England game notwithstanding, you don't have as many, you know, 42, 41, 38 games. Uh, they, they tend to come down a little bit, and there are sequences where defense, the defense, even if it's getting scored on, can, can rise up. And, they, and that's really how this Rams defense is built. They have playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they have players who can change uh, a series in, in the course of a game. And so even though they didn't do it consistently during the regular season, they have certainly risen to the occasion here in their two playoff games. And you would expect them to do the same again on uh, Sunday. In fact, uh, Aaron Donald yesterday, I thought, had a pretty good quote. He was uh, talking about Tom Brady, and he said, well, you know, you know, no one gets the ball out as quickly as Tom Brady, but that doesn't mean he's going to be, get it, he's going to be able to get it out of his hand every single snap. And, you know, that's the approach that, you know, okay, he gets it out quickly, but we are going to get to him at some point. And I think... In a, play, in a playoff setting, it's easier to do that and, and kind of work through your fatigue than it is in a regular season game when you're already up 28-7 to seven, uh, midway through the third quarter, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense because, you know, that's the, I think that's the, the, the one thing that's most uh, underrated about Tom Brady is just the fact that he gets the ball out so fast. I think at, at one point in his career, and I don't know if that's the case this year, it was usually about 1.7 seconds. So wait a minute. You, you think there are things – first of all, the, I think at this point in time, 
if you polled American football fans, I would bet that you'd get a plurality that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. And so you're saying there's an element of him that's underrated? Yeah. No. Ask, him, ask how many of them would say he gets the ball out fast. Okay. That was my point. Thank you, Evan, for interrupting. You know, you can go back to sleep. All right. Uh, the, the, the deal is, is that when you get the ball out, of you know, I remember I had this conversation with Brad Sham one time, and he was talking about how ah, pass rushes are overrated because you've you got a guy like Tom Brady. How are you going to get to him in 1.7 seconds? Well, as we've seen, there are times, as, uh, as Aaron Donald pointed out, there are times when he doesn't. You know, when you look at a game – how many times does a defense really get, even in a, in a normal game, let's, not, let's take the Patriots out of it, in a normal game, how many times does a quarterback get hit? Uh, in a bad game, he may, he may get sacked three or four times, and he may get hit you know, three or four times. Uh, in, a, in a game where he's kept pretty clean, he may not get sacked at all, and he may only get touched once or twice uh, in a game. And yet, th- th- that's the whole point. If you can, if you can hit him, five or six times, just enough to make him uncomfortable, you can watch what happens to his game. And he's not as good. Uh, he's like any other quarterback. Uh, you know, if you give a quarterback time to throw, almost all of them are going to be successful. Now, the, the genius of, of Tom Brady is that he just gets rid of the ball so fast. He knows where he wants to go, and he gets rid of it. Uh, and, and that has been all the difference in their success over the years. He has not taken a lot of shots. That's why he's still playing at his age. He's, what, 41? Uh, that's why he's still played this long. He's just not taking very many shots in his career. Uh, that's why you see other quarterbacks who, who, are, who are standing back there, especially young quarterbacks like Dak, like Deshaun Watson, who stand back there and stand back there and stand back there looking for a, uh, somebody, and that's just not good football. You're, you're just not going to succeed doing that. It's not like – Tony Romo did that a lot, too, but Tony was also very slippery back there, knew what he was kind of looking for, and was more accurate than those uh, other quarterbacks are. But even, even Tony uh, took too many shots, and, and we saw what happened to him as well. reason why he's recognizing defenses as a broadcaster now instead is, of as a quarterback. That is correct. Uh, I, but, but I, think the other th- I think the other thing, too, is like these younger quarterbacks, you were mentioning Dak and Deshaun Watson, I think there's a sense with them when the play breaks down and they get some extra time, you know, you always keep hearing about, uh, and coaches talk about this, how important it is to keep your eyes down the field and, and still look for a play. I think there's a sense that, well, I had this a little bit of extra time. That means I should be able to hit something big here. Uh, something's going to open up on the back end. And you don't see that a lot of times with Tom Brady because he just goes, you know what? Um, I'm just going to get it out to the intermediate guy here. So we, even when he gets a little bit of extra time, uh, not everything in his mind has to be the home run. It's just like, look, I'll take this 15-yard crossing pattern here. Uh, why wouldn't you? And so I just think there's a, a recognition probably that comes with age that you know that the risk-reward here just isn't worth it, and this is, this is a plus. This is a plus reward it's not the ultimate reward but uh this keeps us in pretty good shape and, and why would they be able to stop us after this the way i run this offense so well there's, part- there's a confidence to, to do that i think that that uh the younger quarterbacks uh, again are are and this is this is a generalization i understand but but 
there's just an expectation of let's do something spectacular here. Yeah. And, um, you know, what Brady, what's spectacular about Brady is not the individual plays themselves. It's just the spectacular performance once the game is over and it's stacking a lot of, you know, really good plays. And at the end, you look at it and go, wow, that was a spectacular performance. It's not about necessarily any one particular play at any moment. Well, I think one thing that you did um, mention in, in the last comment, David, that, that I think really stood out in, in describing all of this and, and Brady's success is confidence. And it's the confidence in the system and in himself. Uh, you've got to have a guy that believes, okay, these are going to be my these are going to be my progressions in the system and I'm going to look for this this first option and try and get it and and, and move as quickly as possible in understanding how it's supposed to work and not trying to make more of something that's than is there. Right? Like like you just said, if there's a fifteen yard cross you take it and you move down the field, and I think that is that's certainly something that that Brady has always done a great job with, and it's um, I, I think it's something that is it's necessary in a great quarterback is that belief in the system that it's going to dictate that the right play is going to be there, and don't try and go to option number three. Because the percentages at this point in time are gonna are are gonna drop. Yeah, exactly, and that gets to another point too. And we can uh, uh, bring this back to the Cowboys just a bit. Uh, just glanced at the other day. You know, in addition to getting the ball out quickly, so backs are going to go down. Well, uh, we're focusing on Brady now, but you know, the Rams have thrown the ball a lot this year. They haven't given up a lot of sacks. If you want to look at the sack numbers. New England and L.A. combined gave up fewer sacks this year than the Cowboys gave up. Now, what does that tell you? You know, I think it tells you a lot of things. One, it's just the execution of the system is much crisper with those two teams. Uh, the ball is getting out much quicker. Uh, there's not the indecisiveness or the inefficiency in the passing game that you've seen with the Cowboys passing game. And, it, again, it speaks to... Um, when things are clicking, and it speaks to how far this Cowboys passing game off is, in my mind, when you want to compare it to the two teams that are going to be here this Sunday. I want to ask you about something, and you just be quiet. Uh, and I saw this the other day, and I hadn't realized this about the – and you would expect the fact that the, the Patriots are, are a team that's obviously well-coached and so therefore does not commit a lot of penalties. Uh, which is historically the the, the the case, and I think this year they were like third, the third least penalized team in the NFL. The Rams were also one of the least penalized teams, uh, and then uh, the Cowboys were, came, were more or less, I think they were in the uh, top third, uh, but maybe top third, maybe the middle of the, of the road. Do you buy that about uh, a well-coached team as a team that's not penalized very much? Well, by and large, yes. I think there are some exceptions. Uh, I think there are some teams um, that are built more on, on big plays and, and doing some certain things where you may uh, put yourself in a position to get a get a holding call uh, that you wouldn't otherwise because your offense doesn't, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to buy too much time sort of thing. So, but, but it speaks to how 
again, just how efficiently these offenses are operated with, with both New England and L.A. because uh, they do a lot of creative things. They do a lot of different things. They do a lot of things with motion. Uh, you know, they, they will throw some things at a defense to put them on their heels. And often those teams um, get called for penalties. Uh, you know, you get your delay of games. You get your uh, unbalanced lines or a guy, you know, not enough players on the line of scrimmage. You, uh, you get some other things. But the fact that they have done all that and not got penalties, again, speaks to the coaching staff and the, and the discipline of these players. But I, And, you know, the, you mentioned the Cowboys and how they ranked in, in the upper third. Uh, they got a lot better as the year went on. You know, this was a young team early uh, that that committed some penalties that shouldn't have committed, and, and you saw those uh, kind of fade away as the regular season went along. So I think Dallas got better in that area as the season went along, but still clearly offensively weren't executing anywhere near the level of New England or the L.A. Rams. Well. I've raised my hand, and Kevin has actually called on me. So I'm going to bring something else up uh, since we're now on to the Cowboys that, that I researched a little bit this morning. And it, it just strikes me again. Uh, I, I don't think that any of this stuff is going to be all that surprising, but I wanted to run these numbers by you and, and get y'all's thoughts. And, and, and I don't think it's going to be surprising because you brought them up before we went and, on. And take get your takeaways from them. But – you know, you look at the Super Bowl, uh, Sean McVay uh, is, ta- is, is taking this team to the Super Bowl uh, third year with the Rams or second year with the Rams? Third year with third the Rams. Year. Okay. Um, since 2011, which was Jason Garrett's first full year, there have been one, two, three, four, five, six coaches who came in after Jason Garrett and have taken teams to the Super Bowl. Um and, and so it just kind of led me down this rabbit hole of looking at, at the Cowboys' stability uh, versus uh, some of the other teams. Jason Garrett is now sixth in the NFL in coaching seniority behind uh, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Sean Payton, uh, John Harbaugh, uh, Mike Tomlin, uh, and then he's, he's sixth. All of those other five coaches have – won Super Bowls. They have combined for nine total Super Bowl titles. They have been to 15 Super Bowls, and they have 38 playoff berths among them. Okay, The Cowboys have three playoff berths under Garrett and no Super Bowl appearances. There have been, to take this a little bit farther, there have been 61 coaching changes in the NFL since Jason Garrett became the Cowboys head coach. 25 other teams obviously have made coaches, coaching changes, many of them on multiple occasions. The Cowboys have gone basically a decade with Jason Garrett, and, and I just come back to this thinking that at one point in time, Jerry Jones was about the new incarnation of Al Davis, right? Just win, baby. He was going to do whatever it take, took to win, and there wasn't going to be a long rope for anybody. And and now we're sitting here a decade later. Jason's about to enter his ninth full season with this team. And it just seems like every other coach that's come in has either excelled or been tossed out in the bathwater. And I'm wondering what this says about Jerry Jones at this point in time in terms of 
his fire for winning? Well, I think, um, you know, Jerry's fire for winning was never questioned. And people always said, well, you know, you may disagree with the moves he makes, but no one can question his desire and how he's, you know, doing it for, for this team to win. And that was a, a really kind of a, a narrative or a default uh, mode that you, that every conversation went to with, with Jerry Jones. Uh, Jerry undercut himself last year when he when he talked about uh, getting that gold jacket and, and getting in the Hall of Fame, and how you know well you know he he may you know uh, just how meaningful that was to him. Now he's kind of walked that back a bit and, and tried to explain it a little bit more since making it. But um, you know I, I think it's only natural in, in human nature that once you've accomplished something early in your life, as your life goes on, you look at you look at accomplishments a little bit differently in the big picture. And I think he looks at uh, the Cowboys brand, uh, how uh, intertwined it is with with American culture, uh, the the financial benefits of that, uh, the fact that, uh, they're able to do all of this and grow as a franchise when they haven't been winning at a level that many other franchises do. I mean, look at all the franchises that have been more successful on the field than the Cowboys over the last 22, 23 years. How many of them have surpassed the Cowboys in value or brand recognition? And right. it would be no. Now, now I know all this, this conversation in and of itself is driving football fans crazy. Right, because the last saying, thing we people... We don't care about any of that. We the last thing care people care all. about is how much more po- money Jerry Jones is putting in his pocket. You know, nobody sits back yeah, and roots. I hope Jerry makes an extra $2 billion this year. Exactly. And, and they reduce it to that. Now, it, it is about that with Jerry, but it's also the, the brand recognition and the significance of the Cowboys brand and how that won't go away. So I think he feels, even in losing some of these, you know, over this last 22, 23 years or, or not achieving the ultimate uh, Super Bowl again, uh, even in losing, they are still reinforcing the significance of the brand, and so he takes that as a win. Now, there's not a fan out there who will take that as a win. That's why you have uh, a disconnect and a, uh, and a frustration in the fan base. And, and I, just, I just think there is a, again, he's won three titles. Um, you know, now he's been recognized with a, with a Hall of Fame bust. Um, you know, what else is there for Jerry Jones to achieve uh, in running the Cowboys, would would one other would a fourth title mean much more than three and what he's accomplished now? For the certainly yes, you want it, but is there a driving, burning desire to get it, or a feel? And if you don't get it, you're left with a feeling that well, I really haven't accomplished anything. I think it's very difficult for Jerry Jones to be left with a feeling of I haven't accomplished anything if he's unable. If this franchise is unable to collect another Lombardi Trophy under his watch, so that's probably a long-winded way of saying I think there is a, a level of of comfort that comes with success, and I believe that uh, Jerry Jones has reached that level in his life. 
Kevin? That was right. my first, to me, to quote uh, I, the political scheme, I, I think that somebody said something this week was chilling. Those words to me come across as, as chilling. Look, here's what I I, I have uh, talked and written about this kind of thing before. I want to make a first of all a comparison to another owner you bring up, Al Davis. I bring up Bud Adams. Uh, grew up in Houston with Bud Adams as the as the owner of the Oilers. In his first seven years as an owner of the Oilers, I believe that the Oilers had five head coaches. Mm-hmm. Two of them won AFL championships. You know, Bud was just a nut. And he was firing coaches left and right. He's firing. He fired the coach uh, that is the father of the defensive coordinator in the Super Bowl this year, Bum Phillips, the most popular head coach in the history of that franchise. He he, he fired people left and right until he got to Jeff Fisher, and then all of a sudden it stopped. And Why? He, and he kept Jeff Fisher forever. Well, I think there was a number of factors here. One of them was that Jeff had some success. He, Jeff did get him to the he Super Bowl. He did get him to the Super Bowl. Yes, uh, when they were in Tennessee, uh, not in not in Houston. Um, but they got him to the Super Bowl, and and Bud was older, uh, and I don't I don't know if it's so much that he lost his fire. I just think he thought I don't have a better idea here. Back then, I was you know I made I made a lot of calls, and a lot of them were really rash and impetuous kind of things, and I don't know that they were always the right thing. I think if we look back at Jerry's history as the uh, coach of the Cowboys, he will tell you, and he has said this publicly, that one of his biggest mistakes was firing Chan Gailey. Right. You know, he didn't really fire Jimmy. Jimmy left on his own of his own accord, uh, uh, and I and I don't I don't believe that that if Jimmy had really wanted to stay, that that would have happened at all. Um, but at any rate, he fired Chan fired Chan Gailey and feel like he shouldn't have done that. He did go through a, a series of coaches. I, I will say this: just because you're firing coaches doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. Correct. It doesn't mean that you know we we want to. You can be a, just like you said. Bud Adams fired coaches left and right. Didn't mean he was. It didn't mean he was right. No, no, and and you and so to me, when we talk about what uh, what, but where do you what, what is what is Jerry's motivation? and stagnancy. Well, I think I think what we got here. I think you just made up a word. Uh, stagnancy? Stagnation. I think is what you were going for. Let me. Uh, is is that? Let me see if that's another word in my made up vocabulary. Yeah. Is is this? It, what is the motivating factor for Jerry? I'll tell you what the motivating factor for Jerry is, is that he wants to win a Super Bowl without Jimmy Johnson. Uh, that is, I think that that drives Jerry. I don't think that Jerry sits back and thinks, you know what, I don't really care as much about winning now. I'm making a lot of money. Jerry's going to make a lot more money if he's winning. If he's going to a Super Bowl, they're going to make even more money than they're making. And, and nothing is more important to Jerry than making money. Stagnancy is an adjective. An adjective, huh? Okay, yeah. So, so at any rate, my, my point is, is that I think that Jerry, if he felt like they were going to win, if I fired Jason Garrett and hired another coach, we're going to win, then he'd do it. But he's but just so, not sure of that. So, what what do you think it is? Has he lost his fire, or has no. he? Does is, is he just like you why, said? Why would you say I don't have a better idea? What, what is there about fire? I don't understand that argument. That first, first of all, that he's got. 14,000 things going on in his life. I, he, I, I think he sleeps about four hours a night. You know, uh, he's got more energy than I, than I have. I, 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 why is it when we think that, oh, you got fired if you're firing coaches? The people, you know, not, not that you're firing coaches, but we're now talking about going on nine years. But what's, well, what's the, the flip side? Of everybody says, why doesn't he fire Jason Gary? That must, that must mean he doesn't care anymore. Why does that? Why then? If that, I don't understand that. It'd be easy for him to fire Jason Garrett. Right. It's not his son. 
You know, he can fire Jason Garrett anytime he wants to. And the problem is, do I find the right head coach the next time? I think what people say about Jerry, they make Jerry more sinister than he really is. Look, he's a guy who, who wanted to win. He hired Jimmy Johnson. He made a great first hire as a head coach. They couldn't get along. He wanted credit. He did push the issue with, with Jimmy. Had he not been so pushy, Jimmy probably would have stayed a little longer. I don't think a lot longer. I think he would have stayed another couple of years anyway. Uh, but the, but he, he wouldn't have been the head coach of the Cowboys for 20 years. He would not, yeah. He, he would not be. That, that was not not a, gonna, he wasn't going to be Tom Landry. No, that wasn't going to happen. So, so then, he's, then he, he goes through this series of coaches where he clearly looks back and thinks, Look at the, look at his history of coaches since then, right? right? Barry Switzer, that wasn't a great hire, you know. Uh, uh, we had, he had Chan Gailey, maybe, maybe his second best hire uh, at, at that certainly at that time he was. Uh, and then we had Dave Campo, not a great hire, although he was in a really bad situation. You know, they were in cap hell, and so he he had to pay. Where were they that. in cap hell? <laughs> so they had to pay for all that, and then he then he had uh, then he had Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells certainly was a, a great coach, but kind of Bill. Now there was a guy kind of out of gas, if you ask me, when he got here. Uh, and, and then we right. and then we had Wade Phillips, and then and then we have you know Garrett. Garrett. So it's not a it's not an overwhelming series of head coaches. And I think that what Jerry thinks is that if I fired Jason, if I thought I could get Sean Payton, he would take Sean you Payton think he's lost, in a second. Do you think he's lost faith? Both of you guys, do you think he's lost faith in his ability to find a solution, a better solution? I don't know that he would ever admit that he had uh, couldn't do anything. I don't care what he'll admit. Wait, wait a minute. Well, I, I, like I just said, if Sean Payton, if he could get Sean Payton – to come into my he would, forget no, Sean but Payton. No, it's not, Sean Payton's not been to Super Bowls. It. it doesn't matter. No, and the point is, is that you say he won't make a change. He doesn't care. He would. He knows that Sean Payton's a great coach. He would fire Jason Garrett today if Sean Payton would come to coach but the guys, Cowboys. Guys, you're not going to go out and and hire a Super Bowl coach unless it's Mike McCarthy, who's been fired after you know a downturn. You're not going to hire a Super Bowl coach in the prime. And so what I'm saying is. Does Jerry have faith in himself that he can go out and identify why couldn't, why the couldn't next he get a Sean Payton? I don't know that any coach has confidence in I mean, any owner has a confidence in that. How David? do you know? David? I don't know that he lacks the faith to do it. I, I think he, he sees the positives in Jason Garrett and invested this time in him and – he wants it to succeed rather than – I think it's going to be difficult for him to acknowledge he won't get the level of success he wants with Jason. And he hasn't come to that point yet. And this year, to me, was another example. If you flipped how this year went, if this team would have started yeah. by winning started hot the and then games and then faded at the end and then you know won a home game and then lost the way they did to the Rams, I think there would have been a coaching change. There wasn't a coaching change because you had that flip. They started off three and five, finished right. strong. And so even if your inclination early in the year was, you know what, I'm going to have to make a change this year. Uh, we're not where we want to be. Even if you went into this year, and I believe this was the case, even if you went into this year believing that, you know what, to see tangible you know, tangible movement here, tangible improvement. This team needs to get to an NFC championship game. 
and, and I believe that was kind of the, the unspoken uh, bar that you had going into the season. Well, now, as soon as you went three and five, that was out the window, and you're looking at all the worst-case scenarios, or and, and the best-case scenarios not even making the, you know, certainly not making the NFC Championship game. So you adjust your perception of what the season is. And so even though this season wound up no further than it ever had at any other point under Jason Garrett, I think Jerry and Stephen Jones are sitting there going, yeah, but let's not minimize where he came from to get to this point with a very young team and who we have in place. And we didn't do a good job of, of getting him the receivers he needed. Now he has that receiver. Now he has no excuses going forward. Let's, you know, let's see where this takes us next year. And let's make next year the year where there's accountability. I, I think that Jason Garrett has had two of those seasons where let's look at this year is his year of accountability. Uh, you know, in, in 2014, after going three straight years of eight and eight, uh, they jumped up. Uh, won the division and got to the divisional round. Uh, you know, I think you saw it again in 2016. I think you saw it again this year. I think just when it gets to the point where Jerry is ready to make a change, Jason Garrett and this team responds to the point where J- where Jerry goes, okay, well, not now. I'm seeing too many positives. I'm not going to do it now. Right. And the, the thing you got to be careful is, do you look up 12, 14 years into a coaching tenure, and the same pattern has been repeated. You know, it, it's the uh, uh, it, it's the whole you know the science project of, of you put a frog in slowly boiling water, uh, you know, where it doesn't realize it's going to stay in there too long until it boils to death. H- hang uh, on, kids, kids, <laughs> kids out there, do not put any frogs in boiling We're not water. Not encouraging this behavior, by the way. David's doing that all the time. He's a he's a frog torturer. <laughs> Good lord! I, I want to, and, and I think that's we, all, those are all excellent points. I want to say one last thing about that is that uh, we, we can't discount either the fact that what was the most maybe the most famous quote in Jerry's tenure is that any one of five hundred coaches right. could have did what what Jimmy Johnson did. But that was a, that was a complete act of hubris at that point. It was, but I think it does. Re, and I think it was more that he was trying to hurt Jimmy more than anything by saying that, but I think it does reflect a little bit of what he thinks about coaches. It's more about players than coaches. If they've got the right players around them, everything will be all right. I mean, we saw what happened when they got Amari Cooper, right? Right. It looked like a completely different offense from what it was. For a half a season. For a half a season, absolutely. So I do think that there's a little bit of that involved with with, uh, Jerry. I think it's age, first of all. Yes, getting toward the end of his life here. Do I really want to upset this little apple cart all over again? It's not, but it's not not caring. When people say he doesn't care about winning anymore, he only cares about making money. They don't understand winning makes money, right. and 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 uh, yes, Jerry makes money. He wants to make more money. He wants to, you know, you should never question that. And winning is always part of that formula. All right, we we didn't get into Jason Garrett not talking to the media at the Pro Bowl. Because it's such a big well, game. Let's apparently. ask David why why won't they why won't they go ahead and just say that Kellen Moore's gonna be the offensive coordinator and John Kitten is the quarterback's coach? Because they're the Cowboys <laughs> in the offseason. <laughs> and they go through torturous steps to keep everyone talking and speculating on things that it's very clear where it's headed. Uh, this is this is 
standard operating procedure for this franchise, and they they every off season, uh, you know, your your first questions of the off season uh, linger beyond um, rational expectations. Tell you they should, and then um, you know, Gary will pop up at the combine in late February and go, oh well, we've already decided all that. Why talk about it now? So. Um, this is, you know, they, they pull it out, keep their name, you know, get, they elongate stories uh, to keep themselves uh, of interest in the news cycle. And, and look, have they actually uh, assigned all of the titles yet and put pen to paper? No. That's why they're not doing it. But, uh, and, and I think they're still, we'll see what some of these titles are once they do uh, announce them and settle on them, but I would anticipate that uh, probably if you know, I would think by the end of this week we're we're probably going to hear or we'll see we'll see an announcement on what the coaching staff looks like with a statement from Jason Garrett. But I, I don't know that we're going to have a, a a full explanation from any of the principals until uh, after the Super Bowl. All right. Well, that'll just about wrap it up. We have. 20 seconds left. I want a winner and a score of the game on Sunday. David, you go first. Patriots, 31-28. Patriots, 24-21. Patriots, 34-28. Wow. I think that's just what David said, wasn't no, it? No, he said 31-28. 31, 31, yeah, yes. okay, all right. Uh, all right, well, that will, uh, I think we're all in agreement there. Which means that the Rams will win. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, the Rams will start their dynasty on Sunday. Yeah, that's this, right. This has been a vigorous conversation. I've enjoyed it very much. Um, vigorous. We, we will be back next week to discuss Super Bowl aftermath and stagnancy. Stagnancy and stagnation. Stagnicity. <laughs> um. David, thank you for joining us. Go enjoy media day today and whatever else you have to do. I, mean, I believe Tony Romo is going to be speaking with the media today. Wow, Tony. I believe he will this afternoon. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe he'll tell you all whose score of ours is right. Um, <laughs> so, All right, everybody, take care. We will see you next week on the Cowboys podcast. We've still got a Ranger podcast coming up after a two-week break, so hang on. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.